I want to uh, start something a little bit different this morning. I'm gonna, not going to be able to do the whole length of my series, so I wanted you guys to see some of the humorous signs that I found. Some of them I found actually that I've seen firsthand. Some of them are signs that perhaps uh, I just found some of them on the internet. Uh, someone sent me one of these as a, an attachment so that I could show it to you. Uh, some of the signs that you're going to see here I would view as humorous. The first one here, caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges. What is the purpose of that sign? If you real, read in the really fine print also, the bridge is out ahead. Uh, I guess the purpose is just to slow you down enough to be able to look and see what's taking place. Although I could see somebody trying to figure out exactly what that sign meant and just keep on driving uh, right past the bridge that's out. Notice, please do not throw so stones at this sign. What other purpose does that sign have? It says absolutely nothing else. So what's the next one? This one I just thought was funny. <laughs> right beside the cemetery, you have the dead end sign. All right. These two go together. Correctional area, correctional facility area. Do not pick up hitchhikers, and hitchhikers may be escaping inmates. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the one way going both directions. I talk about confusion. Tell you what, none of those have anything to do with the message this morning, but those are signs that I, I had thought about using as a part of this series. Uh, maybe at some other point we'll find a way to use that. Uh, this morning I want to start by talking about something that took place several years ago. Uh, we were at, at our house in Delaware, and uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to invite some neighbors over for dinner one night. And as we invited them over for dinner, it was one of those easy dinners where all they had to do was show up, didn't have to bring a thing. Linda prepared the meal, and actually, usually when Linda's cooking a meal for guests, we, it's the only time I get lasagna, and it was great. But I remember as we were uh, uh, welcoming them to the house, one of the neighbors, when he came in, he said, hey, I didn't know if it was okay, I didn't know what I should do, if I should bring something, so I brought a bottle of wine, is that okay? And of course, you guys know I'm the pastor, and I want to make sure that I, I, I set a really good example and all that, so uh, I laughed, and I thanked him for his generous offer, and I, I said, but the thing is, our family doesn't al allow any alcohol in the house at all. He said, oh, that's no problem at all, and he said, I'll just leave it out here on the front porch. So he set it out on the front porch, and we, we ate for like an hour and a half. And there was one thought that continually went through my mind. I sure hope nobody from the church shows up and sees a bottle of wine on the pastor's front porch. Part of the reason why I would be concerned about that is because we live in a culture where for far too long we have taken the opportunity to go different ways with our faith. One individual, for example, on Sunday will live one way and on Monday will live a completely different way. And unfortunately, that has not escaped really any level of individual in the church. Individuals who have been in the church for one year, one day, to 50 years, 60 years in the church. We need to make sure that we are individuals who are not standing in the middle of life, but rather we are choosing which direction we're going. The sign that we're going to look at today is the keep out of or keep off the median, and we're going to be looking at it today, and as we do, uh, we're going to be back in Genesis chapter 14, if you want to, we'll go ahead and read it in a moment, but go ahead and turn there, and while you turn there, let me give you a little bit of background information. 
Our passage this morning shows a time where Abraham had to decide whether to be in the median or to stay on the course that God had led him to already. Look at it with me in Genesis 14. Leading up to these verses, Lot has been grouped together with the people of Sodom. Part of it's by choice. If you remember, uh, Abram said to Lot, you choose which way to go. If you go left, I'll go right. Basically, they parted ways, and Lot chose to go towards Sodom because of the fact that it was a beautiful area. There was great prosperity, and he could see where this could be a really good thing for his family. But Lot has now been grouped together with the people of Sodom. And as he's been grouped together, Sodom has been attacked. The people of Sodom have been taken captive, many of them, and someone sent for Abram. Someone escaped and realized, you know, we can't do anything about this, but maybe Abram will come to the aid of his nephew Lot. So Abram goes and he rescues Lot but also the other people of Sodom. And this is where we come in this morning. In Genesis chapter 14, beginning in verse 17, we read this. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread of the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Anur, Eskel, and Mamre. Let them have their share. What we see in this passage is Abram finds himself in the midst of two different kings. One is the king of Salem, and one is the king of Sodom. Consider the contrast between the two kings. One is the king of perhaps the most godless city in all of human history. Sodom was such a horrible place that thousands of years after its fall, we still remember it for God's judgment against it. There's nothing else that we think of except for the fact that God's wrath came against the people of Sodom. Now, it's not a guarantee that the king was this horribly ungodly individual. However, it is very likely that he was, as he was as much a part of the problem as the people of Sodom were. Salem, on the other hand, is a city that we know very little about. But what we do know is that Melchizedek, their king, is known not only as a king, but also as a priest of the Most High God. And in his encounter, he offers a blessing from God upon Abraham. What a contrast. One appears to be incredibly ungodly, while the other is God's servant. Well, Abram seems interested in being associated with one, but clearly not associated with the other. That's because he knows that, first of all, you can't have it both ways. 
You can't choose to be associated with the things that dishonor God and also choose to be associated with the things that do honor God. You've got to choose which way you want to live. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21 and 22. Normally I don't read from the message, but this states it so clearly to us. It says, and you can't have it both ways. Banqueting with the master one day and slumming with demons the next. Besides, the master won't put up with it. He wants us all or nothing. Do you think you can get off with anything less? We see this with Abraham as he embraces and generously gives to the king of Salem. But when he deals with the king of Sodom, he wants to make it clear that he has no allegiance with him, with this ungodly king and likely this ungodly city. He knows that he can't embrace both of them. He has to go one way or the other. It's interesting that in both situations, we actually see at least some similarity in what Abram does. With the king of Salem, he generously gives to him a tenth of everything that he has just received, that he has uh, gotten from his exploit of uh, saving the people of Sodom. With the king of Sodom, he gives him everything, but he does so with completely different reasons. He does so with the king of Salem simply because he is honoring the Lord. It is a gift back to God because of the blessing that had just been offered. Because of the fact that God had provided in this adventure. With the king of Sodom, it was because I don't want to be associated with you. I don't want you to be able to tell other people that my wealth came from you. I don't want anybody to mistake me as being in partnership with you. Seems pretty offensive. However, he said what needed to be said. Often we are confronted with similar choices and far too many of us choose to stay in the median, hoping to make peace with everybody. Certainly it looks different than what it did for Abram, but it still happens for us. For some it's seen in their finances or their time. They never seem to have enough money to give back to God or enough time to serve in ministry. But they have time and money for everything else imaginable. If there's an opportunity to go out and buy something really nice, they've got the resources to be able to do it. But to give to the kids going on their trip to, uh, to the conference coming up, no, I don't know if I can afford to do that, but it, I, I'll pray for them. Others, they've got all the time in the world to be able to go to every single event they would like, whether it's a sporting event or an activity in your neighborhood, whatever it is, you've got the time to do it. You've got the time to sit in front of the television for hours every afternoon and watch whatever show it is that you want to watch when you get off of work, but you don't have the time to come and to serve and to be a blessing in whatever area of ministry needs someone to serve. Often, there are many people within the church that find themselves very much in the median as opposed to in the travel lanes. Still others simply try to live that double life. They figured out how to flip the switch when they're with the pastor or with their kids or maybe with their boss. They can seem like the most godly people in the world. But put them amongst a group of peers where they're trying to impress individuals and to say things that perhaps draw attention to themselves, there is no limit to what they will say or do. 
Then there are still others who seem to have simply grown weary from doing what is good. They've served in ministry. They've run sound. They've taught Sunday school. They've sang in the choir. But today they are worn out. And as a result, sometimes they live like Christ. And sometimes they live like the devil. But according to the Apostle Paul, the master won't put up with it. Far too many people who attend church on a weekly basis find themselves standing in the median as opposed to standing in the travel lane so that they can actually move forward for Christ. I will tell you, you can't have it both ways. When I was a teenager, one of the things we would do often was go to the Shenandoah River uh, once a year. It was a big event for me and the friends from my high school football team. And uh, we would go and... and we would have races uh, down the Shandora. We'd do canoeing, and uh, typically I got paired up with a, a big guy. His name was Mike. Uh, it made it easier to remember each other's names, I guess. I don't know. I always got paired up with Mike, and Mike was the biggest guy in our group. I was probably the second biggest guy in our group. Most of the people who were hanging out were defensive backs and wide receivers, which they're all the little guys. So me and Mike are the exception. We're the big guys. They'd put us together. Sometimes that was a good thing, sometimes not so much. For example, when you'd go through the shallower water, we'd drag the whole time. We'd have to get out and walk and carry the thing. On the upside, though, there would be times, though, where we could, as we would race, we would get into the rapids, and because of the extra weight, we would get to moving, and I mean, we would fly out in front of everybody else. And what we would do once we got out in front of everybody else is we would stop to fish. We'd find us a nice spot where the, the water wasn't moving very fast and uh, we felt like this was a place that we could stay. But here's the problem with that. When you stop rowing, you don't just stay where you're at. The current will continue to pull you along. Often what happens as we stay in the median of life we think that we can handle this balance, that I can have one foot on one side of the highway and another foot on the other side, and that I'm going to be okay. But what happens is eventually the current of life will begin to pull at you until you find that you're no longer standing in the same place that you once were. We cannot be people who stay in the median, but rather we must be people who choose which way we want to go. Do we really want to live like the world or do we want to live like the Lord? How do you keep from living life in the median? First, you must know who you are. Abram was God's anointed. His name would be Abraham later, but God has already anointed him. He has already promised him that this was going to be a land that God was going to give him. God was going to bless him. He already knew who he was. God had given him a great promise, and God had made him prosperous. Why would Abraham do anything to get in the way of what God had already done for him? Why would he put himself in jeopardy? Consider for a moment how good God has been to you. Consider the blessings that God has poured out in your life. Consider the calling that God has placed on you. Why would you settle for anything less? You have the opportunity to be used by God in such a mighty way that you can change the world in which you live. But if you settle, if you decide that, you know, I want a little bit of this, but I also want a little bit of this, what happens is you're not moving forward at all. 
you must begin by knowing who you are. Abraham was God's anointed. Abraham was also Lot's estranged uncle. You say, well, what does that matter? We talked, uh, I guess it was last time, about the fact that Lot and Abraham had parted ways. Uh, their, their herdsmen were beginning to fight amongst each other over watering holes. And Abram, he didn't want that. Not really sure that he even wanted to split up with his nephew either, but he realized that I don't want to be at odds with him. So he says, tell you what, you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. I don't want us to fight. I'll always be your uncle though. Understand that even though they may not have agreed on everything, they may not have been as close as they would have been, say, when they first started their journey together, Abram was still Lot's uncle. He knew who he was. He knew his family. Even though the circumstances had changed for Lot, it didn't necessarily mean that Lot himself had changed. Even though the circumstances had changed for Abram, it didn't mean that Abram had changed. Circumstances don't determine who we are, but rather who we are determines how we handle our circumstances. We're all going to face difficult circumstances at times. Being a Christian doesn't mean absolving us from struggles. Instead, it simply changes the way we respond when those circumstances come our way. Consider the words of Jesus in Matthew 16. He said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That means that a part of living for Christ involves changing who you are. And I told you here at the beginning that the first thing that you need to do to make sure you're not living in the median is to know who you are. Well, as children of God, we ought to be new creations in him. We are not the same people we once were. It's completely denying our selfish desires and choosing to live for him. It means getting out of the median and choosing to run God's direction rather than the direction of our world. But it's more than just knowing who we are. It's also about knowing whose we are. In other words, knowing who you belong to. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now listen to this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. What a powerful statement. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. In fact, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus was the one who paid that price. The curse of sin which you and I deserved, he took it upon himself. In other words, you now belong to him. In fact, the term that is translated redemption that we use so often in the Christian language 
is also translated ransom because Jesus paid the ransom for your sins. And because of that, we have been redeemed. It's like a slave who is trapped in slavery with no hope of ever getting out. And someone comes along and says, I will pay the ransom. I will pay the redemption fee so that this individual no longer be a slave, but rather he or she will be set free. Jesus Christ has done that already. Understand that the one who pays the ransom then has rights to that slave. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to him who ransomed you, which is Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 14, Paul is talking and he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the wise. You say, what does that have to do with actually not being owners of ourselves, actually knowing who it is that owns us? In other words, he doesn't live for himself. He says, I am a servant to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, or to the non-Gentiles, or to the Jews. I am a servant to the wise and to the unwise. It's not as if I belong to myself. Consider the contrast here between Jonah and Paul. Jonah was a man who he wanted to be used by God and wanted God to do great things among the Jewish people. He wanted to be a prophet to the Jews and he wanted them to respond to the message. But God went and called him to the Gentiles, to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah didn't like it very much. Paul, on the other hand, he says, I am a servant, I I'm obligated to the Jews and to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, to the non-Greeks. I am a servant. I am obligated to the wise and to the unwise. We need to be individuals who realize that as God's servant, we are no longer in charge. A part of him being the master, him being the one who paid the ransom, who actually took ownership in our lives. Part of that for us is realizing that He desires that we do it his way. And if he calls us to Gentiles, then we need to go. If he calls us to Jews, then we need to go. If he calls us to the wise or to the unwise, we need to go. We need to be obedient to him. There's one more thing that I want you to catch. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know whose you are. But I also want you to know where you are going today. Abram's loyalty would never be split. He was going to the promised land. The promised land that God had already shown him. He had already told him ahead of time. In fact, even after they split in Genesis 13, he reminds him, this is the land that I am going to give to you and to your ancestors. It's already been promised. And Abram has determined that he is not going to be sucked in by the temptation around him. The same thing that drew Lot to the area of Sodom the prosperity and the pleasures that must have been there certainly could have been a temptation for Abram. It would have been easy for him to say, you know what, now that we've had this bonding moment together, how about we find a way to work together and maybe we can benefit from your prosperity some. But Abram chose to not be associated with the people of Sodom. It's not that he disliked the people that were there, but rather he knew the lifestyles that were being lived there. And it did not fit with the God who was calling him to righteousness. And by the way, Abram knew that God expected righteousness from him. 
You see it already in the scriptures. There's so many examples where God expected him to live in such a way that would honor God. Abram knew it. And he didn't want to be associated at all with other people who weren't going to honor God. He would not allow his loyalty to be split. He had a promised land that was awaiting him. What about you? Abram knew what awaited him. He knew that there was a gift, there was a promise that God had offered to him, and he had an opportunity if he simply stayed the course and allowed God's blessing to be all over him. What about you? Do you know the blessing that God has offered to you? Do you recognize that as God has offered you an incredible blessing, eternal life in his promised land, the eternal promised land, do you recognize what an incredible privilege that is for us? I assume that the answer is yes, but then here's my question. Why is it that so often within the church we have individuals who know this promised land and they want God's blessing, but here they are, they struggle to get out of the median. They find themselves trying to have it both ways. They want to live for God on Sunday morning, but they don't necessarily want to live for God on Monday or Tuesday or whatever other day it is that they struggle. It's as if they turn that switch on and off. Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 to 14 says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'm not expecting that the people of God be finished products at the very moment that they surrender their lives to Christ. But what I do believe is that we need to be a people that decide that we're not okay with living life in the median. One foot on one side and one foot on the other. God has called us to be solely focused on him. I love the way it's worded in Jeremiah. If my people will seek me, they will find me. Is that what it says? With all thou heart. It's not enough that we simply say, you know what, I want a little bit of God. It's not enough that I want God on Sunday. Sunday's an awesome time to experience God. But you ought to be able to experience him when you leave this place too. You ought to be able to experience God everywhere you go because God desires to be able to pour his spirit out to you constantly. Know this. Every one of us has the opportunity to change the world in which we live. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe today that regardless of your age, I believe today that regardless of how much education you have, I believe that regardless of how wealthy you may be, God desires to change the world through you. But he will not do it while you live life in the median. You must choose to move to the travel lane. Abraham becomes one of the greatest men of God 
And truly, the entire world has changed because he chose faithfulness to God. Will the world be changed because you chose faithfulness to him? Today, if you are in the median, if you're trying to have things both ways, I'm going to give you the opportunity today to choose to follow Christ instead. I'm going to ask if everyone would stand with me, please, and bow your heads. We're going to pray. The worship team is going to come up, and we're going to sing together, I Surrender All. Because I do believe today that there are many people in church that although we have prayed a prayer of forgiveness, perhaps we haven't truly surrendered everything to him. Maybe we're living life, one foot in one lane and one in the other. And we're not really surrendered to him at all. Father, right now we come before you. and We ask that you would have your way in us. Lord, you, you know our hearts. You know that far too often we have settled for bits and pieces of your grace and your goodness. We know what it's like to be in the fast lane moving forward, but we also know what it's like to spend time in the median, not really making a difference for anybody, just watching life go by. Lord, we believe today that you have called us as a people, as a church, to make an incredible difference in the world around us, to change this world. But we know that it cannot happen until we are fully surrendered to you. But I pray today that you would take away the hypocrisy of the church. Those who live one way on Sunday and another way on Monday, Lord, I pray today that you would help us to no longer be hypocrites, but rather to be a church that is alive and is being transformed. Lord, I pray today that you would no longer allow us to be a church that does things only our way and only when it's convenient and only when it fits our plan us to be a church that's fully surrendered to you. As the worship team sings this morning, I surrender all. The altar is open. If you would like to come forward, we'll have another time of prayer to follow. Oh, to Jesus I surrender
Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we do surrender our everything to you. And we ask that you would have your way in us. But I pray that you would help us to be the people that you've called us to be, that you've created us to be. Help us not to get in the way of the work that you desire to do. Help us to be people who, if the people in our workplace were to examine our lives, were to judge us based on what they've seen in us, help us to be people whom they would very clearly identify as a man or a woman of God. Help us to be your ambassadors to the world around us. For the times that we've fallen short, we seek your forgiveness. We seek your grace. We ask right now that you would give us the strength to stay in the lane where we need to be. Help us to be the people that will change this world by the anointing of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you as the body of Christ to go as those who have been filled with the Spirit of God and have a calling and a purpose that is much bigger than you. It is His calling and purpose. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace. Thank you.